0: Women on the Rise is supported by The Riveter. The Riveter is a modern union for working women, offering content, community, and work and gathering spaces, all designed with a focus on women and work. The Riveter has been my work community and home for the last two years. Countless collaborations and friendships have come from my post-event chats and kitchen conversations with my fellow Riveters. Ask anyone at The Riveter Fremont. I like to hang out in the kitchen. There's chocolate there. Equity of opportunity should be a reality, not a promise. Visit theriveter.co to learn more. That's theriveter.co and by Armoire. Do you love variety but hate the clutter and expense of new clothes? That's totally me. So I use Armoire, a clothing rental service for today's boss lady. Armoire gives me access to designer clothes I can exchange on my schedule for a flat monthly fee. I get access to a guilt free flow of new clothes without the hassle of shopping or dry cleaning. Best thing ever ever. Women on the Rise listeners can try Armoire today for $100 off your first month using code WOTR100. That's WOTR100. That's a good deal, y'all, one you won't find if you just go to the Armoir website. Visit armoire.style to get started and use that discount code. It helps the show when you do. That code again is WOTR100. Enter it at checkout at armoire.style and Armoire will hook you up.
1: I think in every aspect of kind of what I've done in in my career, most of it has been uncomfortable. I think I've kind of always had the attitude that nothing is permanent and it's always worth putting yourself out there or giving something a chance. Because if you don't like it, I've never felt like there's not a way out.
0: Welcome to Women on the Rise. I'm executive and lifestyle coach Lara Dolch. And each week I talk to thriving women about the practical self-care strategies they use to fuel their success and pursue what's most important to them in their careers and lives. We get real about topics like healthy living, sleep, stress, time management, happiness, mindset, and leadership while busting myths about work-life balance and being perfect. My goal each week is to uncover new insights that you can immediately apply to your work and life to recapture your momentum and achieve your big dreams now. Hey there, and welcome to season seven of Women on the Rise. Can you believe it? It's kind of crazy to me that we've been producing this show for over two years now. And I've talked to, oh my gosh, over 60 women. It's, it's kind of amazing. And that's totally because of you. So I should first of all say thank you for being here. It really means the world. And I love getting your emails and your reviews. And I love running into you at events in person in Seattle sometimes. It's, um, it's really amazing to me to hear how the stories that we tell on this podcast through these interviews have affected your lives. So thank you for that. played basketball and ran track growing up, but sports were just something I did, not something I dreamed about doing. Because let's be honest, it's not easy to turn a childhood sport into an adult career, which is why I'm so inspired by this week's guest and why I can't think of a better place to start with this season's theme of blazing your own trail. Professional soccer player Rosie White has played in three World Cups and two Olympic Games as a member of the New Zealand women's national football team. She currently plays for Seattle's Reign FC, the founding team of the National Women's Soccer League. Not surprisingly, Rosie knows how to navigate the discomfort that comes from reaching for big goals and how to do it in a field in which women are underrepresented. We talked about the audacious dream that set Rosie on the path to becoming a professional athlete, the life philosophy that helps Rosie do things that are way outside her comfort zone in her career and life, why worrying is a useless emotion and how to minimize it, and the creative passion that lights Rosie up and why she's begun sharing that part of herself more publicly. Rosie is insightful, funny, generous, and has a quiet power about her that I just love. I know she'll inspire you as much as she did me. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to do this.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I love what you do. So Thank
0: you. What I especially love how we met just because it was just this random day where I'm just going to tell the listeners the quick version of it, which is that. I was trying to figure out the theme for this season of the podcast and this idea of like, you know, life paths that were maybe a little bit unusual. And I started to think about like professional athletes. And then this friend of mine at the Riveter said, oh, you should meet my partner. She plays for the Seattle Rain." And I'm like, oh my gosh. And then you happened to be here that day. So it all just kind of <laughs> came together. I know. So I love, I love it when that happens. And that's sort of how this podcast happens all the time. And I always think it's not going to. And then the pieces come together. So I, I should have more faith.
1: <laughs> you should. You for should.
0: sure. <laughs> for sure. But yeah, you know, I'm curious about... I, you're the first professional athlete that I've had on the podcast, actually, I think. I think that's true. And I'm, I'm curious about... Sort of when, like for you, did you first begin to understand that this path was less common, right? Especially for girls and women.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I think I've always known that the path was pretty uncommon, especially because I grew up in New Zealand and there was definitely no clear pathway for professional athletes in New Zealand or professional female athletes in soccer at all. Um, And there still isn't really a pathway in New Zealand for professional soccer players. So I guess I kind of I never really had the expectation that I was going to be a professional soccer player or necessarily even the dream of it when I was young. Um and I think I've always felt like it hasn't been a common path. Even now I don't feel like it's a common path. It always takes kind of some explaining, especially while I'm at home. (laughs) Kind of people are always asking the question, oh, is that, you know, is that your job or what's your what is your job? <laughs> Do you have another job? So it's right. it's uh, it's definitely, I mean, some people get it, you know, and, and I think in America, a lot of people understand that it's a legitimate job for a lot of people, but um, yeah, yeah, it's been an interesting, interesting
0: ride. Well, yeah, I'm sure people have a lot of questions. I'm even remembering when you and I first talked, I remember asking you, so wait, so how do your contracts work? Like, you know, I wanted to know, you know, from the business side of things, like, how does that work? Like, how long is the contract and how, like, what's the commitment and all of the things? Because yeah. because even for someone, you know, who grew up in the in the U.S., it still is not a path that you come across very often. So yeah, what confuses people about it when you start talking about, like, what is it that, because they don't think it's a real job? Is that what comes comes up
1: um I think because it's not out in the public for everybody to see you know your, your people the only people that really know other people that are tuned in which isn't you know everybody and I think I don't think that I mean, traditionally professional sports have been in England for example it's been men only and only 50 years ago women allowed to play football in England and so I, I don't know it's just I think people don't understand that it's a legitimate option for women to play soccer yeah. as a job um, yeah. even though you know with the success of the US women's national team this year and you know how big they have become, it's still a question that you get whether it's you know is that your real job or is that you know is that a part-time thing or yeah. which is fine. I mean I don't mind answering the question it's just a, it's just interesting that you know if if I was a male in the same position, then I don't think you would be getting any, that question
0: ever yeah. really. I think that's probably right. I, I think that's right.
1: Yeah, and actually, let's
0: back up a little bit. So have you, how long have you been playing? Like how old were you when you started playing?
1: I've, I've been playing forever. I've started playing when I was really <laughs> young, four or five. And I I grew up playing in New Zealand and then went through all of the age group sort of rep stuff in New Zealand. And then I ended up getting a scholarship to go to the States for university. So that was kind of my first adventure outside of New Zealand and kind of took a bit of a shot in the dark with that had no idea what I was really getting myself into but that sort of kick-started my sort of international soccer career and I ended up finishing my college um, so I did four years at college and then I ended up going and playing in England for two years and then came back to the States and have been playing in the NWSL um, for the last three years.
0: Got it. What was it? I'm just going back to what you said about you didn't know what you were getting yourself into <laughs> when you, I guess, I think you brought that up when you talked about coming to, to university in the States. But wh- what was it? What was surprising? Like, what do you mean by that?
1: Well, I mean, I, I was just, you know, a 16 year old, 17 year old kid from New Zealand. And the only reason I had any international exposure was because I played for the, the New Zealand under 17s team. And we actually went to Los Angeles to play against the U.S. under-17s team. And the coach of the under-17 U.S. team was the same coach of the UCLA team. And basically after the game, they kind of just came up to me and said, hey, would you be interested in, in going to college in America? And at that point, I you know, it hadn't really even crossed my mind. There hadn't been that many people from New Zealand that had gone over to the States at that time. And so I didn't really know what that meant or I didn't understand what a big deal that was to be offered a scholarship to go to UCLA. Um, and I kind of just was like, oh yeah, whatever, I don't, I don't know what that means. And I, um, about six months later, when they were we were emailing back and forth and it was kind of getting a little bit more serious with the conversations. And I remember one of my teammates on the New Zealand national team, Ellie Riley, who grew up in America and went to Stanford. She kind of gave me a kick up the butt. and was like, you need to take this more seriously. And she sat down and wrote the emails back. Um, she was like, this is a huge opportunity you can't just be laxadaisical about writing emails back to UCLA like you have to do this so then I kind of realized that it was a bit of a big deal and I should um, probably put a bit more thought into pursuing it.
0: How funny that's so I'm, I'm guessing that there are a number of listeners that can relate to at least the idea in their professional career of sort of going down a path that they didn't actually know what what it was in some respects yeah. I can certainly relate to that I mean my my first job in New York I I didn't really know what it what I was going to be doing but I was like oh, yeah. <laughs> it's in New York it's in television that's what I want to do <laughs> yeah. like, I mean your situation's a little bit different but I think it's that you know no, it's like, probably not you
1: know, you just sort of follow the path yeah and I think especially when you're young you don't you don't really know exactly what you want to do and, and you don't have a vision of where you're going to be in five years time. And I think, you know, you just, you just do, what kind of sounds good in the moment. Although it's not, I mean, I understand that it's not, it's not like that for a lot of people that especially, and I learned that it's a, it's a big deal, you know, signing up to to play sports in college in America. And um, I remember we used to have visitors coming to, to trial or not trial, but, you know, coming on their official visits to UCLA at, you know, 13 or 14 years old. And I remember thinking that that was just crazy to me. Yeah, Yeah. Cause I mean, it just not my experience. So, so yeah, probably, probably unconventional, um, in a few different ways.
0: Right. Yeah, totally. What would you, when you were a kid, like, what did you think? Like, did you think about like, you know, that whole, what do you want to be when you grow up thing? I mean, it's such a silly question, but like, did you have (laughs) other paths that you had thought about before you realized that this was even an option?
1: um yeah I I mean I was always a really sporty kid and I I kind of my biggest vision of me as being an athlete was probably I knew that I wanted to go to the Olympic Games it didn't really matter to me at the time what sport it was going to be in but I think I always kind of had a a drive to represent New Zealand at the Olympic Games um and sort of as I developed and realized that soccer was probably what a, my best sport, I didn't. I mean, it wasn't necessarily that that was going to be even an option. I didn't even know that soccer was in the Olympics at that time. But that kind of just all developed as I grew up. And yeah, I, I um I actually before I accepted my the scholarship to UCLA, I um had applied to go to university in New Zealand and do a design degree. So I was about six months away from finishing uh, high school and going to do a design degree in Auckland in New Zealand and then I decided I better really take this opportunity to do something different and if I don't like it then I'll just come home and do that. Yeah
0: I love it oh my gosh there's so much in there well the first thing is yes we need to talk about your art because I we will we'll, we'll get to that um, because I, I learned that about you recently too but you know what's interesting to me also about what you said is just this vision that you had of you know wanting to represent New Zealand in the Olympic Games and that that's a really broad, big, you know, you know, goal, but there there's not much well, I mean, it's it's specific and not at the same time, right? Like you're like, I don't care how I do that. I just wanna do it. <laughs> and I think it's an interesting lesson and in, like, you know, you can have those goals and you cannot know how you're gonna achieve them and you're you can achieve them anyway.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it, it becomes clearer over time, um, how realistic or how you're actually gonna get there. But I think it's good to have those kind of lofty, lofty dreams and visions. Yeah.
0: I love that. That's, that, that's really amazing. Were you, I'm actually, I'm sure you've been asked this before, but I have to ask it anyway, but like in that moment when you were there, you know, doing what you had dreamed of doing, like, were you present enough to recognize you know like <laughs> that it was actually the thing that you had dreamed about doing or was it only later they were like oh my gosh i just did that
1: I, yeah i mean it's all it's kind of hard to to really absorb things in the moment but there was one specific moment i remember um it was in at the london olympics in in new zealand we have this dance i don't know if people know probably of the all blacks is probably the most um, iconic people that do the haka um which is like a a Maori traditional Welcoming dance. It's sort of, and it's performed, you know, sort of pre competition or to welcome people. And anyway, in the Olympic Village, every country has its own sort of apartment style building. And I remember when our team arrived at the village, the rest of the New Zealand team came out of the building to welcome us onto the village with a haka, which if you don't know what a haka is, you should Google it because I mean, it can be a little bit intimidating. H A K A. Okay. But it's, I mean, it's a really intense sort of emotional thing Mm. to be part of and um you know we uh, growing up in New Zealand you kind of have that connection to it if if you don't have any connection to it you might just think it's a bit scary and strange (laughs) but so we got welcomed into the into the New Zealand house and I just remember that moment thinking holy crap (laughs) this is pretty amazing and sort of having all the, the emotions at that point oh I love that but yeah, yeah. I mean, lots of amazing memories from from the Olympics, and yeah, it's a it's just a pretty special special thing to do, and and also just be part of a bigger team, you know. Because we always play with just our team, just our soccer team, and and being part of the the whole New Zealand team is kind of you know makes it feel so much bigger than yourself, and you're kind of part of a piece of history rather than you know just completely focused on what you're doing. Although you have to do both at the time, but. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a cool experience.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. You know, I, I talk a lot about with, um, in the, in the sort of coaching space. And I mean, I mean, anytime anyone's trying to achieve some kind of goal, there's, there's discomfort, right? And Mm -hmm. I, I love this idea of learning how to be comfortable being uncomfortable. (laughs) <laughs> does that right? Does that resonate with you? I feel like, given what you do, I mean, yes, I'm sure there's physical discomfort, but but you're also pushing the boundaries of what's expected of women and all the, all these things, right? So, however you want to interpret that, have you learned how to be comfortable being uncomfortable? And if so, how?
1: Definitely. I mean, I think in in every aspect of kind of what I've done in a, in my career, most of it has been uncomfortable, especially the big decisions on you know, moving to the US for college, um, sort of not knowing what I was getting myself into and just kind of taking a chance. Um, I think I've kind of always had the attitude that nothing is permanent and it's always worth putting yourself out there or giving something a chance because if you don't like it, then I think I've never felt like there's not a way out. And yeah, I think, um, I don't know. There's there's always been a lot of uncomfortableness. I'm I'm a big homebody, and and moving away from home was a big step. And also, you know, being around completely new people in an environment that is really competitive is is really challenging sometimes. But I think I think yeah. I don't know what's necessarily helped me um, sort of get over that. But maybe it's just over time you kind of get used to the idea of being uncomfortable or you understand that it's not a permanent state that you can you know you're like you have these moments of being uncomfortable but because you've had experience you understand that there's a there's a light at the end of the tunnel and you're putting yourself out there for a purpose and you know that it's going to make you better and stronger and more wise and (laughs) all of that good stuff
0: yeah yeah no I think that's right just that like to me what what really sticks about what you're saying is yeah just recognizing that it's temporary and that you know you'll you'll move through it and Mm. yeah there's comfort in in knowing that right there it's to be able to sort of yeah, I think that's I think that's right. That's certainly been been my experience for sure. What would you, you know, tell your younger self about following this path if you could go back and tell her something?
1: I think I would tell her to worry less about what people think. I was pretty shy as a kid and I think that a lot of the time I have gone into situations and I wish I had been more outgoing. Even though, you know, I've, I've, I've not found it difficult to sort of put myself in a situation, but I think I found it hard to fully invest in a new situation. And a lot of the time I think I've had kind of half a foot out the door because I know that I can. So I, I, I wish that, you know, I had been less shy and just kind of gone for, gone for everything and put everything into new opportunities rather than being kind of reserved, which I think I, ha- I have been.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Worrying is it's it's such a you know, it feels like it's such a useless emotion and yet it's so human. Like that it's like what we do. It's It's like as if we think we can control the outcome by worrying about it. I mean, right? Like that's essentially what we're doing. I think. Yeah.
1: I know. It is it is a strange thing to do. And I've had a million people in my life tell me to control the controllables, which is, you know, it's an easy thing to say and it's a good reminder when you get caught up sort of worrying about things that are out of your control. Um, yeah. But it's not its not an easy thing to do.
0: No, it definitely is not. What's amazing about the path that you're on and what's hard about it?
1: I mean, it's been an amazing journey for me. Um, I've kind of experienced the world through an interesting lens and sort of got to travel to just about every continent with a group of people that I love spending time with and I love being with. So I think I've been really lucky in terms of, the way that I've got to experience the world and gotten got out of New Zealand and and tried new things and and now getting paid to do something that I absolutely love and would do for free you know so I think yeah following my passion that I feel I'm pretty I feel like I'm pretty lucky to be able to do that and where I am and also yeah I guess getting to see the world and what's hard about it, it's, I think the hardest thing about it is that it's, you've always got that moving ground underneath your feet. You know, with, you were asking me about the contracts and the NWSL and the contracts are crazy. You know, you don't, you can sign a contract, but it doesn't necessarily give you any safety net. You can be cut or traded on any given day. And that's happened to me a couple of times in this league already and you just kind of never really know what's around the corner, and so it's pretty hard to feel settled. And as I kind of as the years go by, that that becomes a, a harder and harder for me. But it's part of what's made it really exciting. Um, but it's also probably the biggest challenge as you get a little bit older and you kind of want to be a little bit more settled in your life.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I hadn't even really thought about it to that level. That's that's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean. Just a, a whole other layer of, you know, sort of insecurity mm. in terms of what happens next. Yeah. So, you know, I do want to talk about your art because I think it's an interesting <laughs> and and I know that it's something, or at least I, I gather that it's something that you've only recently sort of turned back to in terms of sharing it publicly. Can you talk about how that came to be and how that's been feeling for you in terms of pushing past the fear of of sharing it?
1: Yeah. So I think it's, I mean, I've always enjoyed um, art and being creative. It's always been part of who I am. But I think I've kind of had moments where I've been more invested into it and moments where I haven't even done anything creative. And I think, especially since I've been playing professionally, I've kind of had these moments of time where I've I've got too much time on my hands, but I can't be physical or, you know, I can't be out doing anything too crazy. And I've turned to art as kind of something that's, it's probably the only thing I can sit still and do for hours on end without getting agitated because I'm not very good at <laughs> sitting still. So I, I kind of take it as that as a good sign and, and use it sort of to just calm myself. And yeah, I've, I've gone through lots of different trends and I've done some study in photography and I guess only recently I've started to share it as um, because my friends kind of pushed me to to share it or people have asked me to do pieces for them or I've I've done some graphic design for a few companies and I've kind of started to get a bit more confident with sharing it with people and I guess I've never really had any formal training so I don't feel legitimate <laughs> as a yeah. as an artist or so I, I yeah I guess it's it's kind of been tough to share
0: Isn't that funny how we do that to ourselves? Where we think, "Well, I don't actually have a credential. I don't have a like. I I don't have the right to be doing this, so it's not good." (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. right. I totally get that feeling, but it's not. I mean, really, it is, but it's also a just a cultural sort of. Expectation, I think, like that you couldn't possibly be good at something if you haven't had training in it. Like, sure, training might make you better at it, but (laughs) it—it's like, yeah, no, I totally get that. I totally get that. Yeah, it's—I love that you've that you've started to to share it, and it sounds to me like part of being an artist is. Would you consider it part of your self care? Like, it sounds just talking about having it help you calm down and stay centered and stuff. It—it sounds
1: like self care to
0: me a little bit
1: yeah definitely I think um, for me to be a sane human I need balance just like everybody else (laughs) Um, but but that's kind of a nice counterbalance for me for you know being super physical and and training hard every day is to have something to sort of just sit and do and and use a creative part of my brain and yeah it's it's, I think it's definitely a healthy habit or a healthy hobby (laughs) me yeah, to
0: have yeah yeah, it sounds like it like you said it it sort of helps you find that that middle ground because it is so different from what you're doing a good portion of the day well is there anything else that that feels like self care to you that wouldn't show up in a book about you know health and wellness?
1: yeah, i think uh, i mean I, I just mentioned that balance is really important to me, and I think for me self care is spending time with people that I love and and doing things that have absolutely nothing to do with what I do every day as an athlete you know just having time to socialize and you know having a drink every now and again to not feel like you are trapped into a specific lifestyle I think I you know I I like to to do lots of different things um rather than kind of being tunnel vision because that's just who I am and some people operate differently but um for me to sort of be happy I think I I like to be busy doing lots of different things so I try to kind of Find other things to to keep me occupied that don't necessarily have anything to do with me being a soccer player.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's funny. I think I I can imagine there are people who fall into this trap of thinking, well, but you, you know, you play soccer. Like, why do you need (laughs) a break? That's your work. Like, but it's not really work. It's like play, and but no, it's work. (laughs) Like that's your work, and so of course you need a break from it. I, you know, it's it's funny. I think that people. Do you find that that people make that mistake?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, because it is play for most people playing sports and, you know, it's not, it's not super serious for everyone. And I think there's just so much attached to the idea of playing soccer now because it's just been so intense that like, for me, that's pretty, that I I need a break from that. But I understand that people don't get that. um, And that I kind of don't really, it doesn't really bother me that people don't get that but it is interesting yeah isn't
0: that funny yeah and it's occurring to me it it would I think it would be a little bit tone deaf of me not to ask you how you are feeling about sort of all the conversations around pay equity um, around the sport these days like what kind of conversations have you and your teammates have what do you think needs to change to to sort of remedy
1: that yeah it's been a huge topic of conversation particularly for the last couple years and every kind of every and every women's soccer environment is having the same conversation which is amazing and in New Zealand we went through a, a big sort of upheaval <laughs> uprising and we ended up actually getting equal contracts between the men and the women in New Zealand for were kind of the first national sports organization to agree to that so that was a huge step. In, in the right direction, um, it doesn't make a huge impact. You no, know, it doesn't have a huge impact on us because New Zealand football doesn't pay us much anyway, and doesn't pay the men much anyway. So it doesn't, you know, it did not tra- change our lives dramatically. But it's kind of the standard that it's set, and mm-hmm. sort of the conversations that have been built from that are, what, are what's really important. And you know, around the world, it's it's become such a huge conversation. And you know, the US women's team is is making a huge stand to push things in the right direction. And that's what I think is really cool is, you know, the best team in the world kind of have the right to to be the ones leading the charge and saying, we're the best team in the world. Why is this still the way it is um, yeah. in the U.S.? You know, when they're, I mean, that team brings in more money than the men's team. They have more fans. Like, it's, it just makes sense. <laughs> so, unfortunately, just making sense isn't really enough or it hasn't been enough to create change. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's coming. It's all coming slowly, but it's kind of cool to be part of the part of the fight. Uh, I've actually really enjoyed that side of it and get involved with those conversations. And it's obviously something that I'm passionate about. And it's it's cool to be to be part of a generation that's actually seeing some changes and you know pushing for them to keep moving forward. Yeah.
0: Well, and like you said, just the fact that you know more and more teams are talking about it, and and it's you know the more that the more that it's put out there in in the world, the more that people can't ignore it anymore. I mean, it's just yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, it's in, it's in every industry as well. It's, yes, it's not for just sure. Sports. sports is kind of like a, a dramatic version of what's going on in every other industry because the difference in pay is just so massive. But it's yeah.
0: Yeah, that's right. It's, it's certainly not disparate. Inter- it is interesting though. There's something about talking about it in professional sports that I think captures people's attention in a different way, which is great and sort of a shame at the same time. It's like, no, yeah. women everywhere are dealing with this. It's not, you know, but, um, yeah. but I think, you know, we're all grateful that you all have stepped up and made it a, a public conversation in that realm too. Cause it's like the more that it's talked about in different industries, the hopefully the more it will change.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. What is this? Is kind of a strange question, but I figured I'd I'd ask. What's the headline of your life story so far?
1: <laughs> I, <laughs> this question scared me a little bit.
0: Uh, you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. We can, we can uh, skip it. But I, I thought it was an interesting. I didn't think
1: about it. But I, I think probably. I mean that was totally soccer-related, I'm sure we could go down a path like that. But I think, for me personally, what I would like it to be would be something along the lines of someone who took a chance and sort of just has been... No, I'm going to mess it up. I'm not even going to try.
0: <laughs> That's I think, okay. I think after we this conversation,
1: you can listen to it again and you can come up with a better one than
0: me. Uh, I love it. I love it. No, it's true. It's a hard question. And I think, you know, It's um, I'm not sure why it occurred to me with you specifically, but it's it just... I don't know. Yeah, think about it and let us know if you if anything comes to mind. But I, I actually like the way you framed it because you said what I'd like it to be is, which is really, I suppose, all we can do, right? Like, what are we, <laughs> what are we striving for? What do we want to be remembered for, right? I mean, ultimately, or what kind yeah. of impact do we want to make? Maybe is a better way to say that.
1: Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to also just sum up everything that you've done into one good catchy line. Um, <laughs> yes, it is <laughs> like for <that>. sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'll I'll think about it and I'll let you know. I, I love come it. Up again, I'll it I, think,
0: I think you answered it perfectly. I do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which is, that's really hard, Lara. Go away. <laughs> so as we're kind of wrapping things up, where can people learn more about you and everything that you do? You can follow me on Instagram. Rosie White is my name on Instagram. Um, and I have my art page is white rose things so that's kind of where I tend to post more of a picture girl than a word girl
0: yeah that's great that's great I will put those links in the in the show notes for sure and thank you so much for your time this is really fun
1: thank you Laura that was amazing you're great
0: That's it for this week's episode of Women on the Rise. If you're ready now to wake up with the energy, clarity, and confidence to take on your goals, visit lauradolch.com slash womenontherise to get a few resources I pulled together just for Women on the Rise listeners. For show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit lauradolch.com slash podcast. If you'd like to support the work we do on the podcast, leave a rating or review wherever you listen, subscribe to the show, share episodes on social media or with your friends, and use the discount codes from our sponsors. It's all a huge help to the show and I truly appreciate it. This episode was produced by me with editing help from Dave Nelson at Lens Group Media.